We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B-E to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights, strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com slash B. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we work to amplify the voices and ideas of changemakers in education. We talk with students, educators, and thought leaders who are questioning the status quo and resisting tradition in education. So welcome Rebel Educators to this episode of the Rebel Educator Podcast. Welcome Rebel Educators. I'm here today with Maureen O'Shaughnessy. She is on a mission to connect the dots between education, belonging, and youth empowerment. She's the founder of the human-centered microschool Lead Prep. This learner-focused middle high school is a national model for microschools, helping students learn from a place of love and personal alignment. Ms. O'Shaughnessy is the author of Creating Microschools for Colorful Mismatched Kids, host of the Education Evolution podcast, and co-founder of the EdActive Collective. She has also shared her ideas on innovation and education in her TED Talk, Changing My Mind to change schools. Welcome, Maureen. I'm so excited for our conversation. Thank you, Tanya. It's great to be here. You spent the bulk of your career in schools, both domestically and internationally, working all over the world. So what was your motivation for founding Lead Prep or looking at another way? What did you see that was missing back when you returned to the States that you wanted to create in Lead Prep? Yeah. Well, I'd always liked looking for kids that were outside the norm. And so as a young elementary teacher right out of college, I created a gifted experiential program at an elementary that I was at so that the kids could have enrichment experiences. And then later, still as a young teacher, when I was at the high school level, I created a school within a school called Connect for kids that were falling through the cracks because we had over 2,000 students, over 700 kids per grade, and it was just too big. And so I joined with some other teachers and we had a chunk of portables because there were portables everywhere. It was so overflowing and created a, a, a school that was relational, interdisciplinary, real world, a lot of community service. 
So I've always been interested in the outliers. I think that bell curve, sometimes we hit the middle pretty well, but the extremes we don't. And then I raised my girls in international schools and brought them back for high school. And I hadn't appreciated how communal overseas schools were. Even if they had a more traditional approach, they were still so relational and so interactive And we couldn't find a good fit for my girls in the Seattle area. And we tried five or six different schools. I helped them graduate early. And then I'm like, what am I going to do about this? If I can't, as an educator, find the right fit for my girls, who else out there is not finding the right fit for their kids where they're not sparked and loving high school? So I decided to take the things I knew, the research, pull it all together and create a micro school that centers around kids instead of around curriculum or graduation requirements. And then slowly, or not so slowly, would parents say, make it a middle school too. So we ended up being a sixth or 12th grade school. And you talk about creating a relational school and an environment where relationships and learners are at the center of that. Um, But one of the things we hear a lot when we look at alternative schools or different types of education is how are we assessing it and how do we know that our students are going to be ready for college or ready for what's next? And your school has a 100% graduation rate. So can you talk a little bit about that and how you've incorporated assessment into the learner-centered model? Sure. So I would say two pieces come together for that. Since we're competency-based, assessment is always ongoing until a student masters a concept. So it's not like we're done with this unit moving on. We have the ability for kids to redo or go deeper or enhance. And we do a lot of formative assessment, assessing during the process. And because we're small with one teacher for every five students, six students right now, we can say, whoa, wait a minute, let's let's look at a different way. This doesn't seem to be working for your wow, you have this. Would you want to do an extension or an honors project and go deeper? So the assessment is ongoing in a formative way as opposed to a pencil and paper memorization summary at the end of a unit. Math is personalized at their own pace. And because it's online, it has adaptive technology. So kids can, again, demonstrate mastery and move quickly or spend more time if they have some gaps that they need to fill in or some concepts that are more abstract. And then another piece that shows us that our kids are getting college ready is we have a dual enrollment program in Washington where 11th and 12th graders can also be in community college or college. And we encourage our 11th graders to try at least one of these dual enrollment running start classes online evening and let us be their support and coach them through how do you talk to a professor before you have an issue? The difference between not turning in an assignment that's incomplete and getting a zero on your average versus turning in something that's half complete and getting a 50% because we don't really focus on the grades. We focus on the competencies, but we want them to understand some of these things that can derail them, helping them with the executive functioning on, hey, teacher said it's due in three weeks. They're not going to come back and do lots of reminders. What's your plan? So we've had a lot of kids have running start success as well. And that speaks highly that creative project-based learning does not come at the expense of being college-ready. Want to know one of my biggest frustrations with ed tech? Tools that assume every student learns the same way at the same pace. I need my technology to do more for me. 
That's why it's so important for me to know that IXL provides true personalized learning across the entire pre-K to 12 curriculum, and that it's proven benefit to all student populations, including English learners and students in special education programs. IXL is research proven to accelerate achievement. Studies across 45 states show that IXL schools outperform non-IXL schools on state assessments and independent research from Johns Hopkins University verifies IXL meets ESSA Tier 1 standards. With those results, combined with IXL's teacher-friendly reputation, what more could you ask for? I'm sure you want to increase achievement for all students. Find out how IXL can help. Visit IXL.com B for a demo. That's IXL.com B-E. Can you talk more about that? I'd love to hear what that looks like in your middle school and high school. You know, there are so many different levels of project-based learning and so many different schools using the term project-based learning. But what does that look like at Lead Prep? First of all, it doesn't look like a university classroom with a teacher lecturing. We do something called flipped learning and we minimize the teacher lectures and the teachers make it as a prequel, a little mini video that the students watch the day before. And then the teachers come and help the students apply it during class. So we are not a lecture-based school. In fact, we laugh at teachers and and say, hey, we're going to ding you if we hear more than five minutes of talking. This is supposed to be about you're the guide, not you're the expert. And then We really want kids to be able to use technology. And I know right now, chat GBT is like, oh my gosh, the kids could cheat. And it's like a couple of generations ago, people were just as concerned about calculators. Oh my gosh, kids aren't going to learn math. And it's every generation is like so worried about, oh, kids aren't going to have to memorize. I think we need to be letting go of that. How do we use the technology? How do we use it? ethically? How do we build upon it with the pieces that artificial intelligence can't do? So our kids are able to access information and it's not about memorizing short-term memorization to pass an AP test. And then if they take the test again in six months, they would fail the test that they just passed. It's not about that memorization. So you might see like in our social studies, English and social studies combined together and Well, during pandemic, we did Model United Nations, and the kids loved creating their countries and figuring out which issues and really supporting the perspective from the country they were representing. And sadly, on the last day, they were going to get this big prize for coming to a peaceful resolution, and then Russia pushed the red button so they didn't get the prize. Everybody got exploded. So it was like, um, okay, that's what happens when you give students choice, I guess. But the kids liked it so much that they said, okay, can we do this for civics? Can we do model United States? And can we as states look at passing laws and what states are doing why and how it ties into the government? And so they kept it going last year and had a great time building and being the lawyer and being the representatives and cutting deals behind the scenes with other states to to form alliances. So projects are just about making the learning come to life and giving students as much freedom as possible. I mean, we're talking about kids that are a step away from being independent and being adults. So we want to empower them as much as possible. I love that example. I just went to a conference a week ago 
And one of the teachers was talking about simulations in the classroom, very similar to the project you just shared and how students can create something that is so real that they're working on it in between classes and talking about it as they pass each other in the lockers and on their Slack channel or Google Classroom or whatever they're using for communication at night, you know, and making deals behind the scenes so that they can come back into, <laughs> you know, into what they're doing in the classroom. And so much of that, like you, you know, you're kind of winning as an educator when your students are that engaged and excited and they're learning so deeply about the things that you're doing. Absolutely. I mean, we even had a junior, you know, a 17 year old big kid make a judge's Supreme Court wig with all of those little ringlets on it. It's like, <laughs> what? You know, just they were having a lot of fun and they were really into it. That's awesome. I'd like to go back a little bit to something you were talking about earlier in one of your first positions where you had the opportunity to create a school within a school. And I feel like this is something that's coming up a lot now, especially post-pandemic, as there are so many parents and schools realizing that there are a lot of kids outside of that bell curve that we're serving. And how do we serve those? And looking at those micro schools on campus or school within a school models, how did that come about? And how did you convince your school district or administration that it was a good idea and to try a pilot project like that? So I was just noticing at our high school, just how many kids and worrying and hearing about the kids that just kind of disappeared and so dropout rates and whatnot. And the district had two high schools. So there was a high school down in the valley too. So I was talking with their social studies teacher and she was just an amazing innovator further along in her career. I think it was my sixth year or seventh year as a teacher. And she said, we can together write a grant. We can fund this. And so she already had a great connection with her principal. And I talked to an assistant principal who really believed in it. And it actually, Sue Lombard, that led me to wanting to be an administrator because she had the power to make this happen or the power to shut this down. And she made it happen with us. And so it was really kind of up to me. Could I get the resources? At that time, vocational education had smaller class sizes and extra resources. And so did Title I reading. And they also had a, a paraprofessional. So we had the applied math science teacher, the business teacher, and the reading teacher with their aid, and me doing English and social studies combined in humanities. And we were all committed to it. And we had students that were like, yes, we recruited them. And they had five periods with us doing project-based and interactive and interdisciplinary, a lot of journaling, a lot of, you know, what community projects do we want to do? A lot of teaching them how to own their learning. Because they're like, well, what do I write about and how many pages? They came in trained on this is how you do school versus what do I want to learn and how would I demonstrate it? And then the sixth period of the day, they could go back and take Japanese or drama. It's a huge school, so they could take electives. So I opened the micro school at Rogers High School while Carol opened it at Puyallup High School. And we both had administrative support. And it's hard. I did my doctoral research on outliers, people in education that are trying different things, there's a lot of pressure to conform to the norm. And other teachers are like, what? Connect connect the dots? Are you doing dot to dots out there? You know, people that unknown things can be kind of threatening for others. But it was powerful to see these kids light up. And I got to take them to a national conference on 
service learning where they got to present. They were doing really cool things and they were engaged. What a great story. And I love the idea. And it's something I hadn't really thought about before of the school within a school or the pilot program still being very connected and being able to utilize the resources and the electives, classes, and all of the things that are available in a bigger school, that it doesn't need to be a black and white, that there can be a lot of overlap and gray within those two different methodologies on campus. Yes. And and my micro school was started in the Lake Washington School District. And we have now a campus in Seattle and in Kirkland. But Lake Washington is a great school district and they have something called choice schools. And a lot of times these smaller schools, which are thematic, share a campus with a larger school. And it's lottery system. Anybody in the district can apply and the waiting list is off the charts. So I've always been curious, why don't they add more choice schools? There's an environmental one. There's a Latin one. There's a a STEM one. There's such a demand. Why aren't they opening more? And why aren't parents insisting that they have more of them? But they're wildly successful. They're small. They're thematic. They're relational. So it can work as the school district model, especially in districts now that are shutting schools because they aren't getting the enrollment. What if they turn that into a base for two or three micro schools or school within schools and shared some resources? It just seems like we could be doing so much more of this in our public school setting with the existing resources. Yeah, you have so many ideas. It's so much fun. One of the other things, not to like move from fun to something that's less fun, but one of the other things that we're seeing post-pandemic, especially within a lot of our public schools, is a real struggle in our students, specifically in middle and high school, um, but we're seeing it at elementary levels as well, with anxiety and mental health challenges. Um, struggles with friendships and building relationships, you know, and in a micro school where the focus is on relationships, it feels like it might be a little bit easier to work through some of those challenges. But what kind of tips or ideas do you have for parents or larger school settings to help support our students through this post-pandemic, but also post-traumatic time? So many of us are living with kind of this ongoing veil of trauma. And that's that feeling that something big has just happened to us and we feel like we're okay, but there's still something that's not quite normal and not quite okay. And as we move into the next phases and the next years, how can we support our students? It's such an important issue, mental health of tweens and teens. I think a big first step is we have to take care of ourselves as adults. If our students see us as teachers or as parents really struggling and not having good self-care or good self-advocacy, we, one, aren't as prepared. We're not putting on our own oxygen mask first, so we're not as prepared to serve. We're not setting an example. We're not saying, you can demand these things. You can say, wait, I need a break. I need to take a walk. I need. So I think adults, it starts with us. And I think we need to acknowledge that it's just as important to address the social, emotional, relational pieces as it is to address the academics. Neuroscience tells us if we don't feel safe, if we aren't a part of a community, that we're not going to be accessing our prefrontal lobe and really creating and risk-taking. So it's not an either-or. It's creating the safety and community so we can get to the other places. And the With Heart Project was on my podcast. And she did research on this or doctoral studies on this. 
and she got better middle school math results when she started each period with connecting with the kids and better than she'd ever done in the past, better than any of the other math teachers did. So this is not like, oh, we don't have time for this, you know, fluffy stuff. It really helps kids feel grounded and safe and it improves learning. So we need to value it and make it a priority in our classes. We need to be working on our own stuff as adults. We need to build time in for it. And we also need to mediate and facilitate. I love restorative justice. It's a concept that says when something goes wrong or a student makes a bad choice, instead of a punitive thing, oh, you have a detention, you're suspended, you're, you have to write sentences on the board, whatever horrible punitive thing that somebody comes up with. Instead, it's like, hey, we are a community and this broke one of our norms, broke some relationships. How are we going to restore the community? What are you going to do? And then we're facilitating, how do I restore the relationship with the kid maybe that I had said something mean about or how I I was off campus and didn't come back on time and now do other kids get lunch off campus privileges? How am I threatening that? What do I need to do? So it's saying, yes, we all mess up and it's not about beating ourselves up or being punished. It's about how we, again, become community with the priority on community. And there's wonderful training, wonderful books on that. So I think we need to take time for that and model that. Hey, this is out of sync. And because we have co-teachers, we can. The math teacher can keep going and the co-teacher can pull them out and say, guys, something's out of sync right here. Can we process this? And we as adults need to be able to mediate, to identify it and nip it in the bud by mediating. And it doesn't mean everybody's going to be best friends, but it will get it back to they can interact, they can work on projects together. and then usually they do end up being fine with each other. I love the focus on community and on really working through the issue. It's not a right or wrong or black and white, but it's a how can we work together? How can we repair the relationship? How can we make a different choice next time? And I think we know that their executive functioning skills, they aren't thinking cause and effect very well yet. So a lot of times when they do something, they're not thinking at all about the impact it'll have on others. So we're also helping them Remember, they are a part of a community and there are ripple effects. And I think that's really important to have that awareness that we aren't in our own bubbles. What we do can make a positive or a negative difference to others. And what's the impact that you want to have? Do you want to make a positive or a negative impact? Right. Switching gears a little, as the founder of an elementary school, I love to hear people's stories that they remember from when they were in elementary school. So I'm going to ask you to share something that comes to mind from when you were in elementary school. What stands out? We got to come in early from the cold. And this was central Washington. So we had snow in the wintertime. And the music teacher would let us join around the piano before school and sing. And because I could read music a bit because I had played the piano, I would get to turn the pages, see when it was time and move the pages for her. But singing before school, just the joy of singing has always stuck with me. I sang my daughter's tons of lullabies. We'd sing to the radio in the car. So that is a super happy memory. I think another one is second grade. I didn't even understand it. I was a great reader because my mom had had a summer reading star program and I wanted to keep up with my big brothers. So I dove in to this reading program we had at home, not realizing she was trying to get my older brother just to read, period. But I was reading so much that my second grade teacher didn't want me to be bored. 
I didn't know this, but she sent me down to the resource room to help others learn to read. And that just fostered a love of making sure learning works for other people. And I think if she hadn't been so wise, I probably would have gotten mischievous. I had a lot of siblings. I knew how to raise mischief. So I was really appreciative that she's like, you have this and how are you going to give back? And I think that really stuck for the rest of my life too. Yeah. Do you think that influenced your decision to move into education? You know, I think it did because by fifth grade, I was helping out with special ed kids. And I did a ton of that in high school and thought I was going to be a special ed teacher. And so that and getting to babysit a lot and really enjoying kids, I think it probably was influential. Interesting. Yeah, I was so far on the other side of the spectrum. Like I was a babysitter, but I hated babysitting. I wasn't very good at it. As a snowboard instructor, I would teach the adults. I would stay as far away from the kids' lessons as I possibly could. And then, yeah, around the time of having kids, my entire focus shifted. And I was like, wow, kids are cool. Look at how they learn. Look at how their brain develops. Isn't this amazing the way humans can relate to each other and build these relationships? And my background getting into education was very different, <laughs> different trajectory <laughs> from that. But that's a great story. I love the, I love the idea of music before school. And how can we bring in that joy and also just the foresight of your music teacher to be thinking that, wow, these kids are cold and let's give them something else that's fun and togetherness and connected to do instead of shivering at like I also grew up in a snowy place. I remember standing outside in my snow pants and moon boots and shivering and waiting to go (laughs) inside. Yes. How can people get in touch with you if they would like to learn more? So Maureen at educationevolution.org is great or find me on LinkedIn. So those are probably the two best ways. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and for the conversation. This has been fantastic. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you everyone for listening to the Rebel Educator podcast. I'd invite you to check out rebeleducator.com where you can see all of our upcoming workshops, webinars, and professional development opportunities. Upacademysf.com where you can see our current progressive elementary school in action. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave a review and rate our show so that others can find it and love us too. Keep resisting tradition, Rebel Educators. There are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E. Do you want to save time on prep work? Increase achievement for all student populations? Reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash B-E.